good to see you today. Turn to your neighbor and say good morning. Good morning, good morning. Please turn your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 1. And let's jump into the Word here for a few minutes. John chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 9. About verses 1 through 9. I may go a little farther, but I'll try not to. I don't want to get ahead of myself. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, in your whatever version of the Bible that you use, uh, you'll notice here, um, and there's reasons for this, but just, just notice the capital W versus the, the lowercase w. Um, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So you have a capital W and a capital G, which tells you that the Word is who? It's God, right? And the Word was God, all right? So He was with God. Now he has become, the word has now become a he. So the word was with God and the word was God and now the word has become a he. The word is now a person. So the word now has been personalized, personified, and we'll speak more about the incarnation here as we go along. He was with God in the beginning. And so here in this first verse, we have this language, this trinity, the language of the trinity, which you find all through the New Testament and the Old Testament too. Uh, but you have the three parts of the trinity all functioning together here at this very critical moment in human history. And through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 3, a powerful declaration that illustrates one of the mantras that we have here, something that we believe that can never be something that we recite. It must be something that we live up to, that we embrace, and that is that we are owners of nothing and we are what? Stewards of everything. Now, we say that a lot, but we are. We are owners of nothing and we are stewards of everything. Uh, if we own nothing and we're stewarding everything, then the issue is never ownership. And for humanity, our problem is that we constantly wrestle with the issue of ownership. I own my car, I own my phone, I own my business, I own my house, I own my clothes, when really we don't own anything. The, the one who made everything owns everything. And then as you, as, you, as you roll out the New Testament and the issue of stewardship, you realize that God has given us everything. Now watch this, everything, so that we might establish his kingdom on earth. You follow me right there from our offering slide, our offering verse? Everything so that we can establish his covenant on earth. He made us. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So now uh, the word has, is God, and the word has become a he, has been personified, and this he now is the life, and that light now, has, that life has become light to all mankind. And so we are recipients of the light, verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we'll deal with this more in just a minute, but the darkness can never overcome light. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's scientifically, philosophically, theologically impossible for darkness to overcome light because you can shut light out, but you can't necessarily stop light from uh, causing the darkness to disperse. And we talked about that last time. When you turn on a light, the darkness flees. Amen? You, you don't turn on a dark light. You just turn on a light. You can't take light, put darkness in the middle of it, 
and then the light flees. It's, that's not the way that it works. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was the messenger. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. And so John now, uh, John the Baptist, is now a messenger concerning the light. All of us are messengers concerning the light. And I'll, I'll slip this in right here before I move forward. Everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all Scripture, is really one long story about the Savior. So Scripture as a whole is one long narrative concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and Him bringing us with Him through redemption into heaven, wrapping this whole thing up. We all live in eternity together. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. So when you think of God's redemptive plan, every story, every verse from the Old Testament uh, all the way through the book of Revelation has a picture of redemption captured inside of it. So you can literally take any part of the Bible, any scripture, any story, and you can find either the Jesus that is coming, the Jesus who has came, or the Jesus who is living in us now. And anywhere in scripture, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end. And so when he says here um, that John was a witness to testify concerning the light. I can't go there today, but we become, under the new covenant, witnesses to testify concerning the light. That's who we are. We're John the Baptist. A John the Baptist generation testifies concerning the light. The darker the darkness, the lighter the light. The power of light is only illustrated more and more as the world gets darker and darker. The darker the world gets, the lighter the light gets. Someone asked me one day, how in the world did you do, they've asked me this many times actually, how in the world did you do what you were doing in, in the Northwest? We don't even understand it. Isn't the Northwest like the most unchurched city, region in the whole uh, United States? The answer was yes. And I don't think it is today. I think it's changed and I think that we were a part of that. I think statistically you can read how many people go to church in Portland, Seattle, parts of California. But if you read about Denver, Denver is still the, the 12th most unchurched city in the United States. But you wouldn't guess it because we look so nice and we look so clean and everybody's got a nice smile on their face. And we moved into Colorado on the first day and someone knocked on my door and brought me coffee cake and, or like muffins, whatever they were. And I, I was like, what is in the muffins? If you know where I'm from, it's like, what is in the muffins? And now, and now it's all flipped. If you're from Colorado and you go to somewhere, like, what's in the muffins, Colorado? All right. Um, and so the reason was because uh, at that season in the Northwest, it was a very dark time. And so the little tiniest little light, the little tiniest little light can shatter darkness, shatter it, destroy it. You can stand. You could stand in the middle of Invesco Field or, or Sports Authority Field. You could, you could, you could walk into the Pepsi Center, turn off all of the lights in that huge stadium with thousands of seat, seats. You could stand in the middle. You could take one little light and light it, and it would shatter the darkness in the entire stadium. And people could see you from every corner of that stadium. That's the power of light. And we have a, a calling and a responsibility to become witnesses to the light. All of us are John the Baptist in the sense that we bring a witness to the light that is coming into the lives of people. And so he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. And he himself was not the light. 
He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. And how many of you know everyone includes you and me? That includes us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your grace and your love. Thank you, Jesus, that there is a light that shines, that personified itself, came to earth, exists and lives inside of us, around us, the light. Father, I thank you that you are illuminating our path, that you are revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Jesus, that in our darkest hour, you send light, illumination in answers to questions, hope, peace. Where there is no peace, you bring peace. Where there is no hope, you bring hope. Lord God, Jesus, you are the light. When we can't see, you help us see. When we can't think, you help us think. When we're paralyzed in our context, you break the context open. You shine the light. You break the darkness. You shatter it to the core, and it flees, and we can follow you out of where we're at. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. And we love you for the incarnation, for the fact that you came to us. You personified yourself. You gave yourself. You walked in our shoes. You became the sacrifice for our sin. And then you rose on the third day and shattered the darkness for all of us, Jesus. We love you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the, the light shatters the darkness. And, and that's just the way it is in the world. That's just how it is. Um, light is a very interesting thing. Uh, hard to explain. No scientist can really explain it. You know, we all have electricity, but at the end of the day, nobody knows how to really explain it. We know how to make it. We know how to generate it, but we don't know how scientifically to explain the atoms and the particles. We don't really understand it at its core. It just, it just is. So when you, you're out here in, in Colorado, I remember the first time we came, uh, there was this huge lightning storm and I was scared for my life. I mean, you got to understand well, lightning for us is like, is like, is like, you stand out on the street and every once in a while at night in, in the Northwest somewhere, you see a flash and you say to you, oh, wasn't that romantic? We saw a flash of light. You know, we're out here in the storm. Then you move to Colorado. You're driving down I-25 and you're praying. You're speaking. If you do this, if you do this, you speak in tongues because you believe that Jesus has to save you from the lightning, you know, and it's not normal. It's not normal all over the country. And you, you know that, but light is a very interesting thing. Um, you know, when you go to the bottom of the ocean, the deeper you go into the darkness and the depths of the sea, this is one of my worthless Discovery Channel ocean uh, facts, and you've all seen this, but the deeper you go, the darker it gets, the more that the animals, the creatures at the bottom produce light. There's just something about light that shatters darkness. Nobody understands it. Nobody can explain it. Uh, my, my daughter, before we moved here, uh, when my daughter Kaylee was still my little girl, and now she's my big girl, you know, she's my older girl, whatever, okay? She was this big. All she wanted for Christmas, all she wanted one year was for us to go buy her glow-in-the-dark stars so that she could stick the stars up on the, the ceiling of her bedroom. And uh, so we did. We went and bought her this big package of glow-in-the-dark stars. And her, me and her, all, all afternoon one day, we just stuck stars in a pattern. And she was creating patterns. And she's like, no, Dad, you need to stick it. This is the dad part. You stick it to the ceiling. And now it's stuck. And she says, Dad, I think I want that over there. And, I, and at that moment, I began to intercede for her future husband. And I was thinking about uh, furniture and the house. But I just had to leave it because she was only like eight. 
And she says, I want that over there. So I peeled it off and it broke the paint. I had to fix the paint and I go over here and I stick it. And then we turned off the, off the light. So when we turned off the light, the entire room, it looked like uh, the sky, uh, the stars of the sky. And it was an incredible moment. And then when it would dim, we would turn the lights on again and we would recharge you know, the lights. Light shatters darkness. Light turns darkness away. It's victorious. It's powerful. It's unexplainable. It is the perfect picture of God. Now you need to, you need to understand this. Light is the perfect picture of God. And we have light so that we can understand contextually, metaphorically, we can understand more about God. And God's always had an interesting, very powerful relationship with light itself. And I want to talk to you this morning about how light changes everything. Number one, light changes everything in this way. When we're talking about the incarnation, if Jesus is the light and the light comes to earth and personifies itself, the incarnation, last week we defined the incarnation, which was incarne, a Latin word that means in the flesh or in meat, carne, and that flesh, that man, God, came to earth and and revealed himself. When we talk about incarnational living with the light, the light changes everything and it changes everything your condition. And we see this all the way back in the very beginning in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, you know this story very well. In the creation story, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and dark. So darkness then came before the light. Now once again, all of the redemption stories found in every part of scripture, if darkness came before the light, this is a picture of you and I before illumination, before salvation, before regeneration. In us was darkness. We weren't born good. We weren't born good. We were born in Adam. We were born in sin. Jesus comes in. We have the light. Now we change. In the beginning, darkness came first. It was dark. It was empty. And it was void. And it hovered over the surface of the deep. And Jesus then hovered at the incarnation, Christmas. He hovers over the earth for the second time, preparing to deliver himself into the world to separate AD, BC from AD to become the savior of the world, to separate our pre-Christ and our post-Christ, to separate us, to tear down the enmity of sin between us and God. God is going to incarnate himself again. He hovered over the top of the earth, over the, over the earth, and the, all of the New Testament was waiting for this moment when he would insert himself. And he said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day. And he called, uh, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening. And there was morning of the first day. And so light and darkness in this context are elements. But day and night are conditions. There was, there was light and there was dark. First there was darkness. Then light come in. The darkness and the light are separated And now there's day and there's night and there was the morning of the first day. I don't know if any of you remember what it was like for you on the morning of the first day when Jesus came in and divided you from new from the old. I do. I remember the first day that I found Christ. I was so messed up. Man, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know who to talk to. I went in my room and I was kind of real intense, you know. And, uh, you know, 
I sat in my room and I grabbed a Bible and I didn't know what to do with it. And I held it in my hand and I was just talking to Jesus. Jesus, I'm so messed up. How are you going to help me? I need to figure all this out. I don't have any Christian friends. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go to church. And I remember uh, starting my journey of church that next morning thinking, man, I just need to just go to church. And so there was a church up the road and it was a Catholic church. And so I went up to the Catholic church and tried to fit in. And I was just making my list of churches. I did Catholic church, the Lutheran church. I did an old Pentecostal church and a Baptist church. And I just started working my way. But that morning of the first day was very powerful. You know, I'm kind of picking on my daughter this morning. I remember the day that Kaylee prayed to receive Christ. I remember praying with her to receive Christ myself, in, in the bed, talking about Nicodemus. because She never wanted to hear about Nicodemus for whatever reason. She wanted dad to tell her every story in the Bible except Nicodemus. And I'm trying to get to the Nicodemus. I'm trying to get to salvation. My daughter needs to be saved. I'm trying to get there at night. Now, I don't want to talk about Nicodemus. What do you want to hear? David and Goliath. Okay, but when are we going to do Nicodemus? She's like, dad, funny name. Don't get it. Don't ever want to hear it. I only want to hear David and Goliath every single night. And one day, she's four and a half years old or so, and she says, I want to talk about Nicodemus today. So I get all nervous, you know, stumble through the story. We, we pray, and she receives Christ, and it was a wonderful moment for a dad. And she'd been having a hard time with her sister. She'd been picking on her sister, pushing her sister around, her little baby sister. She'd just been having a hard time accepting, you know, the sister and sharing stuff and the toys. And then she's four and a half years old. She, we pray. She comes down the next morning. She walks into the kitchen and she declares to everyone in the house, she declares, and she says it to her mother though, but she declares, she goes, mom, she goes, my whole life has changed. And her life was actually shorter than the lease on my car. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, your whole life has changed. But I got to tell you, it did. I mean, there was no more picking on the sister. She was serving. She was loving. She was caring. There was something in her nature that just changed. And that's just the truth. She was a different person when she came down. And this is a picture of us with the destiny of God and the purpose of God hovering over our lives, getting ready to insert himself, getting ready to, to walk in and to bring a change and to bring a shift. And the light comes in. And now there's the morning of the first day. There's day and there's night and there's the morning of the first day. And this is a picture of you and me and our relationship with God. But it's more than that. This is God called it light, day, and uh, you call the darkness night, and we have these two conditions. We have these, these two conditions. So light then changes our condition. It changes light and dark from a concept, from an element, from all that there is. The, all that there is is light and dark. There is no earth yet. There's no water. There's no animals. It's just light and dark, and now there's day, and now there's night, and now we understand what it means to live in the light and to live in the darkness. And everything has changed. And now man either lives in the light or man lives in the darkness. And we have conditions. So the light changes your condition. And we begin to live incarnationally. When we live according to the light, we live according to Jesus living inside of us, personifying himself to those around us. Are we there? Are we okay? Number two, the light illuminates. The light illuminates. Illumination is a biblical 
uh, term. It's a concept. It's actually made up of a couple of words. But what it means is to focus light onto one thing. Illumination means to focus the light onto something. Um, if you've ever tried to walk through the woods, I was walking through the woods one time with a friend of mine and it was dark and he had the flashlight. And he was holding the flashlight on the trail. And he was trying to hold the light for me, but really he was holding the light for himself. So I spent the whole time trying to follow the light and I tripped all the way out of the forest for an hour and a half. And we'd been on a fishing trip and it was dark and we fished till it was dark. And and he's holding the light for both of us, but really he's holding the light. And so then he takes the light and he says, you hold the light. I said, okay, right at the end, I hold the light. And when I've got the light with me, then what happens is every one of my steps are illuminated as I go. Illumination is the idea that in every step of our life, uh, whatever we're dealing with, finances, family, relationships, church, that God's desire as he's living inside of you because he cares more about you than maybe you even do about yourself. He cares about your destiny. He cares about your future. He cares about your children. He cares about your home. He cares. Are you with me? Come on. He cares about everything about you. He knows every hair on your head that what he wants to do is illuminate every step for you so that you don't trip and you don't fall and you don't fail and you you don't expect pain. God illuminates. Illumination is God shedding light on every decision in every direction, everywhere that we go. And when you live an illuminated life, life begins to change. Your condition has changed. You begin to look for something different. No longer are you trying to do it yourself, but you're constantly deferring to Jesus. Have you ever said to Jesus, oh God, I think I need your help on this one. Have you ever said that? Wave at me if you've ever gone to Jesus in your darkest hour. Have you ever thought about going to Jesus in your lightest hour? True illumination is the revelation that you can go to God in the lightest moment, not the darkest moment, because he doesn't illuminate your way out of something. He illuminates your way into something. An incarnational life is a life of being led into something, not just always being led out of something. Now, God wants to lead us out, but he also wants to lead you into something. So illumination, God's inside of you. I don't know why I did this. I got frustrated this week, but I wrote, he's sending you push notifications. If you've ever had too many push notifications, a push notification is where you are on a website or a, a, you have an app on your phone or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it may be. There's thousands of them. And the last thing they always ask you when you sign up for something, a little square will pop up on your computer or your phone. And it will say, it will say uh, we would like to send you push notifications. Is that okay? And then everywhere you go, don't ever say yes. Don't ever say yes to any of those. Because then for the rest of your life, all day long, on your phone, zzz, little push notifications. Oh, so-and-so says hi on your Facebook. Oh, zzz, zzz, and my phone's buzzing. And I'm trying, then you can't turn. That's the other thing. Have you noticed that you can turn push notifications on, but you can't figure out how to turn them off? Okay, that's the devil. That's the devil. And... And all day long, but God is sending you all day long. He's sending you push notifications. Okay, so I have decisions to make, a family, push notifications, push notifications. Because he's not trying to just lead you out. He's trying to lead you in. He's trying to help you to contextualize a personified Jesus. Jesus where you are at all day long in everything. 
Jesus is where you are. Jesus is in you. He's with you. He's the light. He's not the light in your friend that your friend has. He's the light inside of you, illuminating every step of the way. And illumination affects everything. Illumination affects not only just where you're going, but how you go there. And I was thinking about this the other day. You know, we, we've worked hard with the worship team, and they're doing so well. We were talking about creativity. Did you know that God, hello, is the most creative force on the planet? And, and w- when we need an answer to creativity, we need an answer, some kind of creative answer to something that's going on, or even if we just want to write a song. Most people who don't learn to live incarnationally live within the boundaries of the level of gifting that God has already given them. And you can say, well, man, that person is so gifted, but they don't know Christ. Well, I I do believe that if they knew Christ, they might be 10 times more gifted. I mean, things might come to them. They're already amazing, but imagine what God could do through them if they would tap into the well of creativity. Most people end up managing their non-incarnational mediocrity instead of creatively pursuing incarnational thought and idea. All right. We, we tap into something that you didn't know you had. We just finished nine weeks on encouragement. You remember what encouragement is? Encouragement is not a half full cup. It's not a half empty cup. Encouragement in Christ is realizing that you have a never ending supply that never runs out all day long, every day, every day of your life until you go to heaven. You cannot drain the well of grace. You can't drain the well of redemption. You can't drain the cup of ideas and creativity because you're tapped into something that you were not tapped into before. That's a illumination. Number three is the light is a person. The light is a person. And this is what we have to just continually recognize. So we have a lot of conversations about the culture of the church that we want to build. What kind of culture do you want to build? I want, we would like to build, I, we would like to build a culture in the church where we recognize that Christ is the source of everything. Christ is the reason and the source of everything. He's a person. And sometimes we treat Christ as if he was a web page. You got any ideas? No, I'm totally out of ideas. Well, Google it. And so we Google. It's almost like we Google Jesus when we don't have any ideas of our own. What we want to build is a culture with a people that understand that we are relating to, serving, and walking with a A person, not a program, not an idea, not a website, not somebody's Twitter. We're we're literally living a relationship with a person. As real as the person sitting next to you in the chair. As real as this is right here. Jesus Christ came to us, Isaiah chapter 7. And they shall call his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is a person. And I was thinking of Paul, of course, the apostle Paul, who who dealt with this uh, all the way up until until his salvation. Without going into Paul's whole journey, I mean, the apostle Paul, Saul as a young man, you know, he saw Stephen get stoned and martyred and killed, the first martyr in the book of Acts. And he watched, he watched Stephen 
get killed. And the people who were martyring him and stoning him took off their jackets and they were looking for somebody to hold their coats because they wanted to kill this guy. They're all wearing stuff. So they go over and they find this little kid and they go over there and they take all their coats and they throw it at his feet and they say, hey, young man, I want you to watch over our coats while we go kill this guy. And so here's, here's Saul as a young man watching them martyr Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament. And he is incredibly moved by Stephen's response. Because Stephen's response was, don't kill me, don't kill me. Stephen's response was, I see a man standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he glowed and he had a smile and he was like, I can, I can die for Christ. And his, his entire demeanor was so impacting on this young boy, Saul, that all of his life, Saul was trying to reconcile, what was it that I saw? So riding along on the road one day, on the donkey, on the way to Damascus, Jesus shows up. And Saul hears a voice from heaven, and the voice says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? An audible voice. And he goes, who is this? And he goes, it's Jesus. It's me. And at that moment, a conviction, a stirring, a running from the voice became went from being a thought and a frustration to a person. A person, a person, a real person. And if you think about the life of Paul, if, if Paul can do what he did when Jesus becomes real to him, and the New Testament says, greater things shall you do than these, then what could we do in the world today if Jesus became real to us, we stopped dealing with Christ like he was a website, held his hand, walked with him, illuminated with him, and treated him like a person. Hello, it's me, I'm Jesus, and I'm here. Everything begins to change. So Christ then is a person. He's not an idea, he's not a thought, he's not a verse, he's not the Bible sitting in the corner, he's not a TV show, on Christian television, you know what he is? He's real. He's living. He loves you. He's speaking to you. He's sending you push notifications. He's talking to you right now. He's stirring your heart. He's challenging your thoughts. He's healing your body. He's, a, he's the real deal. He's a person. Talk to him. Talk to him in the car like we talked about last week. Look like a crazy person. It doesn't matter. Walk, argue with him. Talk with him. Sing to him. People will think you're nuts, but you will have the best time of your life getting to know Jesus the person. That's, maybe that's why the Bible calls us a peculiar people. He saw us in 2012, all speaking to our imaginary friend in the car. All right? Number four. And, and I, I'm going to go, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you number four, and then I'm going to give you six quick little thoughts to write down, okay? Number four. The light then has a purpose. The light has a purpose. From the, from the beginning to the end, there is a redemptive redemption story, Genesis all the way through Revelation. Christmas is the insertion that leads us to the redemption point of the cross. And if Jesus can come down and wrap himself in flesh, if he can incarnate himself and separate darkness from, from light, and he does it inside of us, remember what we talked about in the last series, he does all of this for a purpose. Number four, the light has a purpose. We use light for things. We use light to see, we use light to cleanse, we use light to clean, to kill bacteria. We use light today uh, to change the condition of things. It has a purpose. And when you live according to purpose and truth and light, 
Jesus begins to do something inside of you. He changes, he grows. You become the kind of person that, that light just emulates out of you everywhere that you go. You're not perfect, you still have sin, but something begins to change. Now write these down very quickly and I'll finish right here with six points, amen? Number one, the light affects your relationships with others. When the light begins to personify, you realize there's a purpose in all of your relationships. The light affects your relationships with your spouse, your friends, your children, your co-workers, because you have to remember that there's a Jesus inside of you that has a greater purpose for you being on that job than for you to make money. God has you at that place so that you can be a light, so that when you get frustrated and you get angry, it's not about how you deal with the wrong that has been done to you so that you can get yours. It's about how you realize that Jesus said, um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake because there's the kingdom of heaven. There's a purpose behind the persecution. So your relationships then change. God is illuminating something in that person's life in whatever context it is so that you can deliver something that they've never seen before you are part of the division of their soul. You're a part of the process of the light. You're a part of the relational aspect of Christ coming in and working on them. Relationships change. Number two, the light influences your direction in life. Once you have Christ and once Christ comes in, the light is shining, you're going to the left and he illuminates to the right. That can be a frustrating moment. That's how I went to Bible college. That's how I met my wife. The day that I met my wife, I could have been walking in some other part of the, the campus. And I wanted to be. I was actually frustrated. I was walking by myself and I met my wife. So I was trying to go this way, up the hill. God illuminated down the hill. So instead of going with my friends, I took a walk by myself down to the chapel and I met a young lady named Donna. I'm just saying that the light changes your direction because he will illuminate where he wants you to go. So directions then, if he made everything, he's in control and we're, and we're stewards, then we have to submit to the light and the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the light exposes hidden sin. The light will come into your life and it will begin to expose things in our lives that need to go so that the light can be moved forward into the lives of others. I love James chapter one. I love that whole chapter and I love verse 17 where he says that God, in God, there is no shadow of turning. You know what our life is like? You know, if you go out and you stand in the, in the sunshine and you, the sun is shining and you're gonna have a shadow and wherever the light is coming from, there's a shadow. And as the light moves, the shadow moves. In the natural, there's always a place that is in the dark. There's always an area of our life that is in the shadow. But in Christ, there, he is no, there is no shadow of turning, which means he never changes. His truth never changes. And he's directly over the top of us. He's not on the side. When you come into Christ, everything that is hidden is revealed. There are no more shadows. There's no more hidden places. There's nothing but truth. And so the light comes in and it exposes the hidden sin so that God can use us for his purposes. Number four, the light produces strength and power. There's a young man here today. He's a solar engineer. And uh, he, he does things with solar energy. He makes power out of it, which I think is really cool. The only thing that I've ever done with solar energy is take a magnifying glass and burn things. And I, I've always thought to myself, how cool is this? I can burn a bug 
And I'm talking about in my adulthood years. This is not a child thing. This is camping with Kai or something. You know, this is like, watch this sun. Let's burn bugs together. And the sun comes into the magnifying glass and it creates so much power that it creates fire. Light produces strength. The more light, the more relationship you have with Jesus, the stronger you become, the more powerful you are, the more you can overcome sin. Light is strength. Darkness is weakness. Light is strength and power. Number five, the light identifies the giftings and the talents that you have. God comes along and he illuminates a talent or a gift. And maybe it's not even the gift or the talent that you knew you had. I honestly believe that there are giftings and talents that are hidden on the inside of each one of us. And until Christ comes and waters them, we'll never see what they are. Because we look at our natural talents sometimes and we say, because I sing, I'm going to be on the worship team. But really, God has called you to do something completely different. You're going to be frustrated if you get up on that platform with all those creative people. God gave you a voice, but you can't handle being in a room full of creative people. It drives you crazy. <laughs> drives you nuts because everything is subjective. There's nothing objective in the whole room. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm really called to help with the finances. I'm really called to help with organization. I'm called to organize and, and, and get volunteers together and make things happen. So what God does is light identifies and illuminates the gifts and the talents. Jesus wants to release your gifts. And the last one, the light will focus on the objects of importance when we don't know what to do, God does. When we don't know how to think, we don't know what to say, God does. When we're not sure who to love, who to witness to, who to pray for, God knows. God comes along and he focuses on the objects of importance in our lives and as a church. 